Welcome to the round five preview here on Americans Watching the Footy. Now, this is what we expect these next couple episodes will sound like to most of you. Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way, I want to jump over the pack, and here he comes! Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handle off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald! From inside the centre square. We have already gotten a lot of mileage out of that Campfire Song song excerpt, and I imagine that will only increase here, as it is actually now the Gather Round. Not counting the intro, that's our first time using it, and we're going to keep track for each of these next two episodes, just how many times we can use the Gather Round sound, too. I'm Benjamin Castle alongside my brother Ethan. I am Ethan Castle. Brian Harambe is currently sitting in my windowsill, and I have a special announcement before we get this one started. This episode is going to be a mukbang. So you know that guy in Philadelphia that ate a rotisserie chicken every day for 40 days? I do remember that. Well, I'm going to do that, except I'm going to eat the entire rotisserie chicken right now. And unfortunately, there's no visual, so you're just going to have to envision it, but I'll give you some audio. Mm. Before we get into round five, by the time we had finished recording last episode, the nominees for Mark and Goal the week for round four had not been announced. So they have been now, so let's deal with those. The winner for the mark for round three again was Ben King over Asava Radagolea and in front of John Segler. The round four nominees, you've got Cam Rayner at the back of the pack, getting the knee into the back of Billy Frampton. Not much height, but good separation. Then Saturday night, Marcus Bonapelli over his teammate Jamari Ugo Hagen in front of his one-on-one opponent, Daniel Rioli. Bonapelli jumped pretty early, and I liked that decision there. Then later that night, Mitch Owens took a mark over Matt Rowell, and Rowell was going one-on-one with Mason Wood while that happened, so seemed to have been a bit of a surprise for Rowell. Ethan, who do you like for this? Um, I think Bonham Pelly, although Jamara was kind of ducking, which gave him some help. I think just Bonham Pelly's decisiveness um, kind of factors into that for me. I don't think any of these three will be in the running at the end of the year. No. They're, they're good Mark of the Week cannons. They're just not Mark of the Year material. All right. Your Goal of the Week nominees. First off, round three winner was the Jack Lacocious Torp from 62, which was pretty awesome. Round four nominees. You've got the fourth of Charlie Cameron's six goals, where he was the last guy before the boundary. He crumbed off the 
Nathan Murphy Fist then sold some candy and ran along the boundary, kicked before Billy Framton can get him. That one was pretty cool. Then you've got Seb Ross off a stoppage where he gave Took Miller the dough and argue, and then Miller kind of stumbled and Ross was able to snap. It was only from 36 meters, but it was at a 47-degree angle. And then you've got Jake Stringer's barrel on the run from 61 meters for the last of his four goals. Benjamin, what do you think? These are pretty strong candidates, all three of them. As much as I like the long goals and as much value as I place on the kick, the candy that Charlie Cameron sold put his over the top for me. I like that he kind of sold it as if he was about to wheel around and snap, and Murphy bought it wholesale. I am going to go with the Jake Stringer torque. I don't mind that, and I'm going with it because, unlike Lukosius a week earlier, you didn't know this was coming. It just, yeah, that's what made that one cool. I mean, I guess you can kind of see it from how he was holding it, but... The fact that it came in live play definitely ramps up its value, and I think it'll win. I don't think it will likely be one of the last ones at the end of the year, but it was good. Who's cool? Torps are good for footy. All right, let's leave round four in the past. It's Gather round. time. And for some reason, they only held the coin tosses to determine the home teams for the round like a day ago. I don't think that matters, you know. At first, it had just been listed alphabetically for all. I, it matters not just in terms of jumpers and the run-out, but also who gets the pick of the rooms. And I guess on the smaller grounds at Norwood and at Mount Barker, I guess that could play a factor there. Also, I mean, maybe it'll be easier to avoid some jumper clashes this way. I don't know. But I fear we could have a really bad one right away if for some reason Carlton didn't pack their whites. Because the Crows have unveiled a pretty nice... Uh, Jumper exclusively for this round, or at least new for the round. I like the full body crow, although I don't know what good another navy blue jumper will do for them in the long run. I would want that design to be maybe for a red clash. I think this jumper absolutely fucks. Also, if you hear a bunch of noise in the background, Brian is kind of just going apeshit and having a lot of fun. Yeah, he's currently underneath Ethan's bed and has been all over the place the past... 10 minutes or so, it's a lot running around, been talking to himself. I, I wish you could see this, but you can probably hear him. That's, you know, the, the, the bell. I love that sound. So the Crows and Blues get the Gather round. started at Adelaide Oval, where six of the nine games will be played. It'll be a 7.10 p.m. bounce Thursday night. So that's 7.40 p.m. for Victorian audiences. For us Americans, 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 a.m. Pacific. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus telecast. There will be three games on standard US TV this round, but this ain't one of them. And that's unfortunate because I think this is maybe the most Jimmy rustling, giblet tickling matchup of the round. Along with the closer, I would say, yes. But this matchup is also juicier considering how the second game between these two sides went last year. They met twice. The first time was in round eight at Marvel Stadium. Charlie Kernow kicked six goals en route to a 48-point Carlton win. And it could have been a lot more because the Blues scored 17-14. Then in round 20 at the Adelaide Oval, we didn't know it at the time, but Carlton had already won their final game for the year. And the Crows recorded a 29-point win that showed just a lot of promise in general. I remember 
a really good game out of Brody Smith, a few runs from Wayne Millera. I forget if I was more impressed with the Crows or disappointed with the Blues that night, but I remember the game. It was a fun game. Oh, by the way, Carlton had never won at the Adelaide Oval. The Adelaide Oval has not been used for footy all that long. No, it hasn't. The AFL posted a graphic of clubs' records in South Australia and their win percentages, and I wish they showed one for the Adelaide Oval exclusively, just so more people could dunk on Carlton. I mean, I imagine it's already being done in the comments anyway. The way their fans have gotten so full themselves over a couple of games where it's like, it's not just a joking thing and it's like sincere. I am all for dunking on Carlton at every possible opportunity. The Toronto Maple Leafs comparisons grow and grow, including but not limited to the Leafs mascot being named Carlton because Maple Leaf Gardens was on Carlton Street, is on Carlton Street, just not used for pro hockey anymore. Injuries are kind of putting a bit of a damper on this game. I still will be impressed with whoever wins, unless it's just a really shitty game. But Carlton's defensive injuries do not help. Sam Doherty is now out four to six weeks with the torn meniscus, which just sucks. I think he's been through enough. Can't catch a break. Sam Doherty getting injured is proof that the idea everything happens for a reason is bullshit. Unless the reason is to keep Carlton out of finals. That's a good reason for a lot of things. But he'd been so effective pushing forward, especially these first four rounds, and they'll be lacking that. So going to be even more important than, I guess, for Mitch McGovern to be in. if And he appears to be good to go after being subbed down for a court thigh last round. More importantly, though, they're getting a lot back in the midfield. Blake Akers from his suspension and pack injury. Matthew Kennedy and Jack Barton from their calf complaints. Oh, and Sam Walsh. As a man who later became president once said, this is a big fucking deal. That's a man who watched a game of footy with Mason Cox. Mason Cox, now one of the most eligible bachelors in Melbourne. I guess we're just saying that now instead of signing it for the closer. I think it is the funniest fucking thing that the Herald Sun did that. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm sure it's going to be a fun piece for him to talk about on his own show. Like, he doesn't need a Jewish mother setting him up with, you know, Sherry Weisenberg. Oh, she's 35. She's never been married. She just hasn't found the right one yet. This is going to be a close to full strength blues midfield for the first time this year. It's going to allow a lot of players to return to their more natural roles. Could see Patrick Cripps doing more work in the forward 50 as a result. Could see Adam Shera going a bit more outside again. If you want to see what desperate older single Jewish women are like, please watch the episode of American Dad where Roger wants like a new blender or whatever. I think it was a blender. Anyway, her name was Sherry, I believe. Should also note with Carlton's availability, Harry Mackay's good to play. His suspension for striking Harry Sheasel was downgraded to low impact. And while I'm not a fan of it being considered low impact. I think that the fact that he got the shoulder first, they should have taken some of the heat off it in the first place. I think this one was right in that gray area of should it be a suspension or just a fine. I think this is his first offense of the sort. If it were if it were a second, then I'd probably say something different. For the Crows, Shane McAdam and Luke Pedler will be back from their suspensions. Sam Barry's not on the injury list, but I don't know if he's been super impactful. 
seems like they've been focusing on him getting more possessions rather than having him as that tackler or the enabler through that sort of play like he was last year. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I wasn't a fan of it when it was done with like Matt Rowell, but Matt Rowell also just has so many skills that a lot of people don't have. I guess that's what happens when you have 52 Sharons. Thunder was 54. I know it's a lot. Darcy Fogarty is a test with his knee, and I think he's a super underrated player that's been a big part of their offensive success in general. Him and Lachlan Gallant both. The thing is, Fogarty had been inconsistent for a number of years before finding his form really in the second half of last season. If he can stay healthy and on form for longer, that is going to be much easier for them to transition into life without Taylor Walker between Fogg, Gallant, Riley Philthorpe. And then down on the sandfold, they beat West Adelaide with good performances from Jackson Haitley and Matthew Crouch. Crouch for a lot of last year was on the fringe of getting back into the midfield. Is it possible now that he could end up being above Sam Barry for a bit? I don't, I don't know. I wonder if Harry Schoenberg has any chance of having much of a role at this point. I mean, he was the sub. He was a sub recently. Did all right. I just don't know really where Barry fits into things right now. I It's clear that Matthew Nix wants to find the right spot for Harry Schomburg, and we both like that for various reasons. If this is your first time listening, first off, welcome. Second, I like Harry Schomburg because he doesn't have a football player body, and I like athletes that don't have the prototypical body for their sport, whatever that may be. Like, Alejandro Kirk, who's built like Wario, is one of my favorite baseball players. The owner Navarro is also up at the top of that list. Meanwhile, Mac Andrew is built like Waluigi. It looks like Waluigi's wearing eyeshadow sometimes. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, just the eyelids are colored, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What I really wanted to look at for this game is, and, and really this will be a theme across the league for the next bit, is how different teams are going to approach ground ball scenarios because Adelaide have done really well picking up from ground balls. I believe they're right second in the league right now. Was listening to the most recent episode of First Crack earlier today and David King, who I think is spot on in terms of his in-game analysis, maybe not as much with his ladder predictions. His first crack was about how the ground ball, that sort of contest is the most important thing in the modern game. And yep, the top four ground ball teams through the first four rounds. Collingwood, Adelaide, Melbourne, St. Kilda. So how much are Carlton going to be willing to take that on? What numbers are they are they going to put at those contests? Who will it be that they put at those contests? Because that's somewhere where I think Cripps' bigger build could really help him succeed. I'm not surprised that ground ball contests are so important if you like apply the same sort of logic that you do from lacrosse, for example. Face-offs and ground balls basically determine most lacrosse games. Yeah, so it makes a ton of sense. Bovada has the Blues favored by nine and a half, and I guess that's taking into account the injury to Doherty and the fact that they, again, have yet to win at the Adelaide Oval. I'm leaning more and more toward tipping the Crows. I like the Crows here. I guess the weird history fact's probably a part of it, which maybe it shouldn't be. But I'm just, it's one of those things that, like, you roll with it until it breaks. If the Crows do win, it'll be their, probably their toughest yet in terms of the competition they're facing. And if you look back to the Richmond game, they were able to play up to 
the level of their competition for the middle quarters in particular, and just their inaccuracy ended up letting them down before they fell out of it. So hopefully they can give a four-quarter effort because that's what's going to be required here. The way they played the last two weeks is so much better. I think this game is really going to be a referendum on them. It's going to be two very strong offensive teams. I definitely trust Carlton's defense more, even without Doherty. If McGovern's healthy, particularly so. Yeah, that's that's the big factor, because having both him and Wiedering makes them pretty dangerous. Lewis Young has been, has been strong as well, but is it that sort of mover that McGovern could be? So whatever moves need to be made there, whatever inclusions are going to really factor into things back there. Shame that Josh Worrell still is a week or two out for the Crows, because I think he would provide some good health in the back for this one. This will easily be the toughest test for Adelaide's backs as well, going for those 1v1 matchups against the two Coleman medalists. If you're tipping the Blues, then one of the factors could easily be that, you know, you don't expect Adelaide to be able to keep up with both of them. We get a Friday doubleheader this round. First time this year. And it comes with no overlap. Oh, by the way, this is our last Thursday night footy for a while. Yeah, it makes sense with Anzac round coming up. We have round nine. And overlap round nine, where the Caps play the Tigers and the Suns play the Eagles. And did we ever figure out why there's conflict between that Suns-Eagles game and why that's also a Friday or no? I don't believe so, but sometimes it just happens like round three last year when you fell asleep. Okay, you've missed other epic things. I haven't missed an after the siren goal. Okay, I called an after the siren myth. Correct. So, I guess the best way to describe the first of these games is the I'm very disappointed in you bowl. And I'm really going to be disappointed in whoever loses this game because they dropped to one and four. We got two teams that added were one and three that also in their one win didn't even play that well. Teams that I personally have had a lot of hope for this year. I think Benjamin has as well. I've had hope for the designated home team of this game in particular to rise above what they did last year. I expected a drop off for the others. It's Gold Coast against Fremantle. Gold Coast is the home team, so to speak, which I guess that means, does that mean Frio get to call the all-important coin toss? I don't know. They'll be doing it in their new black stealth jumpers. I know you're not a fan of the uh, black for black sake look, but I think this one looks so good that I'll let it slide. I mean, it looks good, yes, but for the gather round, when you're playing out of state, wouldn't you want to be more recognizable? I think people in Adelaide are smart enough to know who they are anyway. I mean, if you're at the game, obviously, but just with that, with with all 18 teams being there in, in the same area, that's why. I would think it's that important for this. But what I do think is whoever loses this game, no, you're not done at one and four, but you're pretty deep shit, especially when you look at the number of quality teams ahead, because whoever loses this game, my issue won't so much be the one and four record. It'll be that they've looked Shitty in pretty much every game, unless this is a game where, you know, both teams just play their asses off, and it's one of those, like, damn, it's a shame they couldn't both win. One other thing about this game, this will be the first AFL game contested at Norwood Oval, home of Port Adelaide's traditional rival in the Sample. And a team that was briefly talked about as potentially being an AFL expansion club, and by briefly, I mean for, like, 
maybe two hours. It's a stadium that holds about 15,000. So wind and the all-important coin toss could actually really play a factor the way smaller grounds typically play. Because normally the coin toss is maybe a little bit more important than remembering the names of Christopher Columbus's ships. Actual thing we needed to do in school. I'm remembering the whole don't stay in school rap by Dave Brown now, which is just a very odd point video still. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Stay in milk, drink your drugs, don't do school. It seems like the wind won't be that big of a deal. I mean, it's going to be around... 13 or so miles per hour around game time in Norwood to the south. So I think that is significant. I mean, I don't know. 16 was enough to fuck up the swans last week. I guess. I mean, I think a lot of this is going to depend on the gusts. And I guess I'm also not factoring in that it's a much smaller grandstand there. So, I mean, I guess that could be enough. I mean, I don't know what it was in the Central Highlands last year when the Bulldogs couldn't kick into the wind. But yeah, it's going to be a 12.10 Friday morning bounce our time. Pacific time, the most important time. 3.10 a.m. Eastern time. 3.10 p.m. for those in Western Australia. 5.10 p.m. if you're on the East Coast. If you're actually in Adelaide, the strange 4.40 p.m. bounce. Remember, both these teams are 1-3. and three. The Suns currently sit in 17th after a loss to the Saints. And the Dockers in 14th. They got to stay in South Australia this week after shitting the bat against the Crows. They're staying out around Glenelg this week, which I guess is a beach area. I believe so. They've got they've got a sample team out there at Glenelg. I also just like Glenelg because it's a palindrome. And it's kind of fun to say. It sounds like... For some reason, it makes me think of a Pokemon. You know what? Probably Giraffarig. I'm surprised it's not, like, named after... Okay, yes, there is a Glenelg in Scotland. It sounds like something you'd find somewhere in Scotland or Wales, but most things named Glenelg are in Adelaide. We learned one really important thing about one of these teams last time they played, Ethan. That was in round nine last year. Yeah, the Dockers couldn't play when water fell from the sky. They lost 69-33 to at Metricon. Nice. And then they were terrible in the rain at home the next week, and that was... One of the only things that could stop him. Now, I thought Jared Witts being out was going to stop Gold Coast from doing some of their best work last week. They still did all right off the immediate contests, but they got the same group going in there every time. And I think that just makes the matchups easier. And there's a lot of fatigue that sets in as well. And when the Suns midfielders aren't known for their defensive work as well, it means they can get really vulnerable later in games. Saw that in the third quarter this past round against St. Kilda. Play Caleb Graham. That's a point defensively, but yes, play Caleb Graham. He really hasn't been mentioned in things for some reason. I would love to see a team try to take a flyer on him in a trade. Speaking of wits, sounds like he's doubtful again after missing training on Wednesday. He was a laid out last round with some soreness. So I guess we're likely to see another game out of Ned Moyle. Brandon Ellis is also likely for a season debut after working his way back from a calf injury, improving his fitness in the VFL. He did well in their win at Sandringham. Mabior Chol also had two goals. Seems weird that he's still out. Sean Levins and Jai Ferrer also featured. So options are there, and I would not be opposed to Stuart Dew swinging the axe after the performance they gave last round. 
That was a game that, you know, it was during an overlap. It was the game you watched, and I had, like, no motivation to go back and look at any of it, which should tell you all you need to know about how the Suns played. I hope they swing the axe. I hope Justin Longmere does the same. And they had a couple of players fly into Adelaide, so I guess you could list them as candidates, one in particular, Will Brody, to play against his old side. He seemed to play well in the waffle last week. I think the message has been sent. I was opposed to dropping him in the first place. Admittedly, it seemed to do some good in the immediate return against the Eagles, although that was, I don't know how much every possible Eagle getting hurt had to do with Will Brody not playing. Sounds like Michael Frederick could be back this week, and I think they really missed him last week in that super embarrassing loss to the Crows where they just didn't show up. You can see, even if he doesn't have a particularly good game, just how much he affects the team's flow and style of play and energy. He seems also like a player who's better at kind of engaging in contests and and, and off them as well, just kind of a player whose speed can help Fremantle all over the ground. They've been going so slowly. They've been so kick mark. They haven't been engaging in contests like they did last year. So I think of them as a team that needs to only really do the kick mark stuff in their own 50. And then, you know, they kind of ramp it up and run. And it's just weird that they haven't done that. Nat Pfeiffer remains out with a plantar fascia injury. Matt Towner has some sort of disc issue. So he's also out. Don't think it's going to hurt him. I think Sam Sturt coming in could... Do him some good. He seems the likely replacement. Also, we could see a player be in the AFL for the first time in four years. Corey Wagner hasn't been in the league since playing with the D's in 2019, but did well for Port Melbourne previously, and he's flown to Adelaide. My opinions about Frio's lineup remain largely unchanged. Unfortunately, their lineup has also been largely unchanged, but... The guys that I think should be on the chopping block, you know, Taverner's been hurt, but also Nathan Wilson and Liam Henry. Instead, what they're probably going to do is just make their lineup like all Liam Henry's. With Bailey Banfield as the sub. Their lineup is just going to be 22 Liam Henry's with the 23rd Liam Henry available as the sub. I would love to see Ethan Hughes be able to shift a bit further back. And so getting Wilson out of the side could help them with that. Because Hughes has been starting on the center line, and he's more natural as that halfback flying and wing. And I really liked Hughes last year in the time he had. There's a reason I named him as my sleeper for this year. So hopefully he's able to play more naturally. He could kind of be a link to someone who can push forward, like maybe Nathan O'Driscoll. Maybe that would be a good way for him to get involved, to have a clearer link from the back to him. Also, just them running more would probably play into O'Driscoll's favor, I think. More running-based styles usually benefit wings overall. Dockers favored for this game by 7.5. I guess that's appropriate. I mean, you talk a lot about how these lines should be kind of in the middle of the range of outcomes, and I can see... I don't see Frio winning this by a bunch. I think if they do, it's like a 70-40 to 40 type score, where the Suns just get fatigued for a lot of stoppages those kind of central players there and just I can see this being a really sloppy contest you know how sometimes you see that I just hope both teams have fun shirt how about I just hope both teams play well and give me a reason to think they're going to amount to anything this season following that one is a matchup that is a bit less enticing because of injuries but still is something of a giblet tickler 
Injuries make this one a little bit less ticklish, but still pretty appealing. I think I think the the giblets are going for this one. Yeah, they're just they'd be a bit more ticklish if Richmond had better health. They're taking on Sydney. I mean, don't discount Sydney's injuries as well. Don't get me wrong. You know, this will be at the good old Adelaide Oval, 7.40 p.m. local time, so 8.10 p.m. in New South Wales and Victoria and all the other places in the East. 3.10 a.m. if you're on the West Coast of the United States like us. 6.10 a.m. on the East Coast, which could be really good for the people waking up that, you know, fell asleep with Fox Sports 2 on, and then they wake up and wonder, like, am I still dreaming? What is this insane, incredible sport? Probably going to be nice for uh, for Donnie Hess and any other Swans fans out in the central time zone to be up at, you know, a somewhat early hour, but not crazy to watch their side, 5, 10 a.m. for him out in Des Moines. Yeah, like I said, Fox Sports 2 show in this game. This is the sort of matchup that should be able to appeal to American audiences because it's just usually a really high-level game when these two get together. It was last year in round 11, a six-point win for the Swans. And, you know, it was a very typical Richmond loss these past few years because they lost a close one after building up a pretty big lead. They led by 33 in the middle of the second quarter. And then there was controversy at the final siren. There was a free kick that had been awarded to Dion Prestia. Chad Warner did not hear the whistle and was so amped up at the final siren that he kicked the ball into the stands. I think in 2023 that Prestia would have gotten the 50. I thought it was fine that it wasn't given. It's technically, you know, a kick the miss short after the siren, but I wouldn't even consider it like that because it was never realistically going to be close. The difference between that and some of Richmond's other losses last year was, as much as that one hurt, it was less self-inflicted and it was more the Swans being good than the Tigers beating themselves. A tweet from at Exiled Victorian, who has some good AFL stats, particularly Richmond stats. He reminded us that Richmond is 1-9-3 and three since winning that prelim by a goal in 2020 in games decided by a goal or less. I think the most surprising part about that for me is the three draws. Yeah, you had the round one draw this year. You had Frio last year. And what's the other? Oh, they drew with Hawthorne round 23 of 2021. That was right. Burgoyne's last game. Clarko's last game with the Hawks. That's right. I think Burgoyne had a chance to kick the winner, too, at close range. You know, by ladder position, this isn't the most enticing game. You've got the sixth-place Swans coming off back-to-back losses, 2-2, two and two, and then you've got the 1-2-1 and one Tigers. It's... Kind of insane to think that Richmond have only one win because I think they've played pretty well. They had one of the best quarters for any team all season last round, the second quarter against the Bulldogs, but they weren't able to hold on to that stoppage success. There was a better quarter a couple days later. Yeah, um, there was. Against competition that was far less stiff, though. But but it made me stiff. I, I, um, this is going to be what she said. I saw that coming. Yeah, the injuries for this one mean that there are a lot of question marks heading into it. You got both McCartans out concussed for the Swarms. Buddy Franklin's also out with a knee injury. So, I mean, the Richmond tall outs were also pretty well known, but don't sleep on the importance of both the McCartans for the Swans. Tom has been the more active one-on-one player, and I think he's going to be the tougher one to replace 
than Patty will be. Robbie Fox is an easy pick to return to the 22, but who else do you see come into the back? Could you have Aaron Francis, the former bomber? Could you see Will Gold make his debut at last, the 26th pick from 2019? Are you going to see Joel Amarty maybe slide back a bit like he's done before? I don't know. I think this is a tough one because I liked how those two McCartans played off of each other, I think. I would tap a little bit deeper into the list, probably use the move, rather than slide guys around. I want to mention, though, the way Buddy's played, it's tough to act like his absence is that significant. Should mean more opportunities for Amarty if he stays forward, for Logan McDonald. I'm not opposed to that. This is where Sam Reed being out hurts as well, him still being injured. He'd be an obvious answer there. We already have a debut confirmed for Sydney. We've got the Warner Brothers. Corey making his debut. Yeah, it should be pretty cool for him to get in there. Do we know anything about him other than that he was the number 40 overall pick in 2021? I mean, plays somewhat similarly to Chad if he could play a bit more outside. Very fast, kind of like his brother. I remember people talking about him in terms of the 2K this past summer. I think just seeing them on the ground together will help us be able to differentiate the two a bit more. Look, if he's anything like Chad, that's a good place to start. Although, I would imagine, considering it's taken him this long to debut, he's probably not quite as good. I mean, this isn't that long. If he was a 2021 pick, this is his second season in the Swan system. No, but if he was as good as Chad, he'd he's been playing already. Fair. Chad's really good. He's probably winning a brown low at some point. The injuries are really piling up for Richmond now. Jack Graham is out two to three weeks with a hamstring injury. Tom Lynch is headed for foot surgery. Toby Dan Curvis is having syndesmosis surgery. And Robbie Terrence has a hip injury. So going to be a lot of guys out for them. And it's a lot of talls. The good news, I guess, is that Tom Lynch got cleared by the tribunal after a bump that concussed Alex Keith, not that he was going to play anyway. So you can look at it one of two ways. Either it's setting a good precedent and helping Lynch avoid like a longer track record, or that it'll even out for Richmond at some point instead, and it would be better for them if they just got a suspension now and dealt with it. Tarrant being out just makes it hurt even more than Josh Gimkis had that hamstring issue, and he's not able to make his way in yet. I think he's still... A month or so out because he had a setback of his own? Yeah, Gimkis is still listed as being three to five weeks out, so Noah Balton will need to play much better than he did last round. Ben Miller will likely be important all over the ground. We know that he can play back, but he's got to be the first-rate Ruckman as well. You're probably going to see a mix between Miller and Balta then because, I mean, what other option do you have? Monte Golina. He's also hurt. Fuck. Is he actually? Yes. Damn. They really are all hurt. All talls. Fuck it. Are they just gonna, gonna say Dusty push things around to the rock? Could be a way to get him involved. I always thought that he could kind of be that player to, to sometimes take those forward contests. I mean, he hasn't been very involved. That fourth quarter against the Bulldogs, he, he had what, like two touches? He was hardly visible. So no name Curvis, no Solto, no Terrence. They're going to need a much better version of Noah Balta than they got against the Dolphins. I thought he was really bad in that game. He he was honestly one of the worst on ground 
amazingly, I think I still liked watching him more than I liked watching Best on Ground. I mean, at least you're going to have Jack Revolt and Trev Caution clearly coming back into the 22. And Jack Ross played well in the VFL, so he could be a somewhat like-for-like for Graham. Yeah, that would be a pretty easy solution, but look, the Young Tigers are going to have to really step up in this game, just like we saw the Young Saints do last week, or the Young Crows, or how the Young Swans have steadily done. I think they're so well-established at this point that i kind of taken that for granted. Richmond are going to have to be less reliant on tall forwards to score, though, obviously. They're going to have to, you know, get some runs going, score off some crumbs, things like that. You could find a way to get a three-goal game out of Morris Rioli Jr., and if you do that, you're looking pretty good. He has not been doing well in the reserves, though. Just single digits and touches, so he's not a factor in selection really at all. He's got to find himself there again first. That's disappointing, because I enjoy him. And he created so much off in turnovers last year. Get Hugo Ralph Smith running, assuming he stays in the lineup? I assume he does. You better, because he's kind of my guy. Swan's favored by 11 and a half. How far out would you push this? Uh, maybe three more points, but I think it's pretty fair. I hope we're entertained. I hope that there's a surprise performer that helps one of the clubs get over the other. And I hope that these sides are healthier when they rematch at the G round 17. That could easily be a, a Friday game there. I get the feeling that's going to be like a Saturday nighter, but I hope that this game Friday... I don't have any reason to consider like, yeah, I'm just going to sleep at the end of this. Kind of like the Eagles demons game where it's just, all right, I'm done. I'm You're calling it a night. You're excused. I mean, I don't think it should be that bad, but I could see the Swans winning this one with relative ease. Three games on Saturday and we begin in the hills and Mount Barker at Summit Oval, North and Brisbane. The fuck you for bidding on Will Ashcroft Bowl. I like that they did that. I think more teams should do that where they, you know, bid on the father-sons and kind of just, like, force a trade or something. Well, each of the past three years, we had a pretty early bid that had to be matched. Jamari Hagen was an academy kid for the Bulldogs, so the Crows bid on him with pick one and then took Riley Philthorpe second. Fair to say, I think that's starting to work out for them. Then Nick Dacos was bid on pretty early, and then... Ashcroft this past year. I like that sort of aggression because you're going to get a decent return. This will be a 12.40 p.m. bounce in Mount Barker. So 1.10 p.m. for the Pacific states of Australia, 8.10 p.m. for the Pacific states here in America, 11.10 p.m. Eastern. This is a Fox Soccer Plus telecast. Man, these teams come in with the same record. I would not have expected that. No, they're only a spot apart on the ladder. Both 2-2, two and two, North in ninth, Brisbane in 8th. When these teams played last year, it was not pretty. The Lions won by 108. They got five goals from Lincoln McCarthy, four from Zach Bailey. Kind of amazing that only 11 players scored when they kicked 23 goals. Usually it seems like you're getting more towards 14 or 15. Uh, David Noble gave a, and this is one of the funnier Australian terms, a spray after the game. This one was talked about and talked about in the media, and I didn't quite understand why this one got more attention than others. Is it because of the margin? It was the highest score that North would end up giving up, and the third highest score any team had in 2022. Guess who gave up the two highest ones? The Eagles. Ding, and ding, one ding, was ding. against Richmond. Was the other to the Bulldogs? Yes, it was. Gotcha. Good. 
sometimes those blowouts all mix in together. I'm glad I was able to tell a couple apart for one. Yeah, the Lions have won the last five meetings between these clubs. That that David Noble thing, it was so stupid. He's like, yeah, he should be pretty pissed after they played like shit. That's a natural reaction. And just remember, he was fired after they played one of their most competitive games of the year. I think they, they already knew he was basically out the door at that point. But yeah, the whole thing was, was weird. Things are looking a lot better for them now. Hey, we let you coach against your son. Fuck you, you're fired. On the roster front for North, Griffin Logue's back from a suspension. We'll see about Nick Larkey with his hip injury and Ben Mackay, supposedly a foot injury, but also he, you know, played for Carlton. He he could play for both this round, though, you know, especially with the advantage of A, they're not on the same day, B, they're in the same state because it's the gather round, and C, there's a day in between. So, yeah, I think we could we could really see it here, and. I called it, a lot of other people called it, Ben Mackay will play his first game round five. It makes too much sense. I thought Seven had posted something about, you know, like, acknowledging basically if there's only one Mackay. I guess they didn't, or maybe they took it down. I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping. I think they took it down because we know. They didn't need to add fuel to, to the fire. It was already, we've been new. On the VFL side, Callum Coleman-Jones seemed to have a nice return from his foot injury. George Wardlaw's getting closer. The main reason I was thinking of Coleman-Jones was because if Larky's out then, I would imagine he'd be the first guy up and getting some of that key time, maybe along with Charlie Coleman. It's also worth mentioning that people are once again mad about Taron Thomas, even though he wasn't going to factor into selection, obviously. There's like a video of him. I guess I wouldn't quite call it reckless driving, but not using a lot of caution driving. I don't know if he's going to be on their list at all much longer. I think by the end of May, he will be stood down is my prediction. It's unfortunate. I hope whether it's through someone like Eddie Betts or whether it's through North, they keep offering him support and assistance, even if he's taken off the roster. But at some point, he's got to take the initiative to do something. I've said it about a lot of different people. It applies in this context as well. You can't help someone who isn't willing to help himself. That said, yeah, even if he's not on the team anymore, they should at least make the assistance available. Because even if you give up on someone as a football player, you yeah. don't give up on him as a person. Yeah, keep, keep the line open for that support network, but they've got to be willing to take it and they've got to be willing to commit themselves. I remember that same sort of situation a few years ago with an NFL player where the 49ers were offering, like, you know what, even though we're releasing him, we still, you know, are invested in him as a person, which is the right way to go about it. Is that Reuben Foster, maybe? Might have been. I, I think it was. It, it would make sense given the time frame. The Brisbane Lions are looking to get Daniel Rich back in action this week. He's listed as a test and is probably Going to be good to go, recovering from the quad injury that kept about the past couple rounds. Delcy Gardner is going to be playing for the first time this year in the VFL, starting a rehab from his ankle injury. He had a shoulder issue before that. Also, the reserves should note that Jared Lyons continued his strong form as the Lions defeated Collingwood. This is the part where I'd say how much they need to play Reese Matheson. If he's doing well enough at that level, yes. And I think he is. It's just, you know, obviously tough to find a spot for him. Who do you drop? Do you send a message and drop someone like Zach Bailey? I don't know if I drop Bailey yet, but I think you got to just 
find a way to get Matheson in, even if it's just as the sub. Maybe moving Bailey to the sub could get him back into things a bit. It would be a message. I don't know if he... I, I'd give Bailey another couple weeks because I think he's so skilled. Again, I think he could e- he could easily be an All-Australian within the next couple years. And I hope he finds his form quickly. But he should be on some notice. Lions favored by 30 and a half, which I think is high. I think people are scared off because of that North loss to Hawthorne still, but they're getting healthier. They're getting back towards form. I think they keep this in the 20s. I hope they do because, again, there aren't a lot of Saturday afternoon games, Saturday starters, you know, late Friday for us, maybe still eating dinner that really get us glued to the screen right away. And we certainly didn't have it last week. We thought we were going to with the Crows and Dockers, and it just didn't materialize. So hopefully this one does. These teams played a one-point game in 2020, so they have had close meetings. I'd love to see that because I just... When you think about this matchup over the last couple of years, it's hard to find like a more different perception of the two teams. Brisbane, in that meeting last year, Scored 44 points in the first quarter. North scored 48 from the game. By the way, I love that it's going to be in such a small stadium. I like the AFL kind of going outside of the main cities, having these regional matches, and hopefully there's some good outreach that goes along with it, some programs around it. This also gets us one step closer to the dream of the matchup between a South Australia team and a West Australia team in Eucla. Even for just... A community series game. Make it happen. Putting the game there would benefit absolutely no one. And that's how I want it to be. Would you promise to go if they ever played that game? Fuck it. If they play in Eucla, I'll be there. As always, you can find us on Twitter and on YouTube at Americans Footy. We'll be posting some more shorts to YouTube as well as audio from these episodes. You can find me on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. You can find me on Twitter at Castle Media, and you can find Brian Harambe mostly running around the house, but also on Instagram at CathNameGrian. So we're picking up things just under halfway into the Gather Round with the Saturday doubleheader at the Adelaide Oval, beginning with Essendon and Melbourne. If you said you're going to have a top four matchup going into this round, which one would you have expected it to be, other than not this one? Probably Richmond City. Richmond, Sydney, maybe Port Bulldogs if everything went right. And with the Bulldogs' early schedule, that would have been tough. Fair. But Essendon are fourth, Melbourne are third, and they're swearing off at 3.40 p.m. local, so 4.10 Eastern Australian time. For Americans, that's going to be 2.10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday the 15th, 11.10 p.m. Pacific, Friday the 14th. This is another Fox Soccer Plus telecast. The thing that I remember about this matchup from last year, which I didn't watch super closely because I was covering Showdown 51, was that Sam Wiedemann was the most visible, really, that he was all year in that game for Melbourne because he kicked 4-3. Only one problem, though. Wiedemann's no longer at Melbourne, and he was concussed last week, so neither he nor Peter Wright, who also kicked four goals in that game, will be helping out the Bombers in this one. Melbourne have won three straight meetings head-to-head. For Essendon, could be some more shakeups on the forward side. Alwyn Davy Jr. hurt his shoulder but played out the game and wasn't listed on the injury report. Still worth, you know, 
kind of keeping an eye on him, but I would imagine he'll be playing this one. More notable, though, is just an underperforming player on the tall side, and one who I've really thought that this was a year that he could have been able to to break out with Wright being out especially, but Harry Jones has been quiet. Gold is three games thus far. From the VFL, where they beat the Northern Bolands, Will Snelling and not dead Ben Hollips played well. Kicked a couple goals, so maybe he gets back in, I hope. Maybe they give him another week. I know they're probably trying to be pretty patient with him. I hope he's in for the Anzac game, just for entertainment reasons. The uh, Bolands, by the way, t- seem to be one of the worst teams in the VFL. Seems like the not-affiliated ones tend to be towards the bottom. I mean, they... Coburg's been really bad. Yeah, I almost want to buy a Coburg membership because they have California Here I Come as the basis for their song. Bolands went 1-17 last year, and their percentage was barely over 50. Yikes. I mean, sounds almost like the Eagles. Patrick Voss kicked 1-4 in the game of the reserves, but with his form being what it's been at the start of the year... Maybe he gets an opportunity as a key guy. Nothing confirmed yet. Looking at Melbourne's list, the Talls are a focus as well because Ben Brown is a test coming back from a back injury. So this could just get really crowded again in the forward line if it isn't already, actually, because Tom McDonald came back last week and kicked four goals. You got Jacob Van Royen kicking two more in his first game back west, back home. So it's going to be tough for them to figure out where, if, and how they can fit all these different pieces in. Not to mention, they're going to still need to get Max gone back into the lineup at some point. He's still maybe three weeks out. And a guy that you brought my attention to, Cade Chandler, would be really tough to take him out with how well he's done. And the fact that he was able to perform well while Kazi Pickett was still in. Chandler, I think, is a better kind of link in the 450, better passer than Pickett is. Pickett tends to be at the end of things where Chandler can slide around, do some work more toward uh, toward the middle. It's a good problem for Simon Goodwin and company to have. Further back, Michael Hibbard could be coming back from an Achilles injury. Again, would be tough to make room there with how well things have been going and how Harrison Petty can also be a flex guy. On the wing, James Harms could return. He was out for personal reasons these past couple weeks and maybe if at some point Ed Langdon and Lockie Hunter need a spell, he could be in there. He could be a good sub-candidate also. In the Casey Demons win of the VFL against Frankston, Bailey Laurie was pretty clearly their best on ground for best for the game because they won pretty easily. Laurie debuted round one, hasn't gotten back in since. Demons favored by 23 and a half, which, um, I mean, they've played so well the last couple rounds. I get it, but I mean, against competition that wasn't nearly as stiff last time out that said i think as poorly as they kicked last week essendon were pretty clearly far better than gws you could talk me into making this more like a 16 17 point line i think yeah in the three goal range is appropriate a lot of it for essendon is going to hinge on how they can make up for those talls being out if whether it's jones finding things whether it's voss providing a spark on debut and also if Jake Stringer can now string together some consecutive good games because he was all over the place last week, especially in a good way all over the place, especially in the second half once he and the rest of the team collectively found their goal-kicking form somewhat, and 
he's got such a high ceiling, but also a low floor. I remember tweeting out that the gap between them was something like the Burj Khalifa. What do you think the crowd looks like for this game? Not in terms of what percentage of seats are filled, because it should be a good turnout since that session is sold out, but do you think it's a mostly Essendon crowd, or how do you see that? I think you're going to have more of an Essendon crowd because they've just got a larger base in general, and so I, and so I think they'll be traveling more. I remember just the great crowds they get out west, and maybe that's swaying my opinion. I'm a little bit worried since there is some rain in the forecast. Less of it than was forecasted a few days ago, but still could get some rain on Saturday. What the ground is going to look like Saturday night and into Sunday, possibly. And Saturday night, we wrap up this doubleheader with Port Adelaide hosting Bulldogs. I guess Port won the coin toss. I don't know if there was a coin toss for the games involving the actual Adelaide teams. They didn't say it didn't happen. Just like there are no rules saying the dog can't play basketball. He's right. Ain't no rules saying the dog can't play basketball. And U.S. audiences will be able to catch this one if they either stay up late or get up early enough for it, depending on where in the world you are, because it's a 2.50 a.m. start for us here on the West Coast, 5.50 a.m. on the East Coast. That's really reasonable. So, uh, Froda down in Florida, I think you'll enjoy that start time. Depending on what your shift is at the fire department, I guess. It'll be 7.50 p.m. for the eastern states for Australia. 7.20 p.m. local at the Adelaide Oval. I came into this season thinking similarly about these two teams, though. Thinking, you know, they've got really nice things at the top of the list. A couple pretty clear problem spots, but more than anything, not having confidence in their coaching. And all of that has been pretty spot on. Thus far, I mean, we've seen more depth contributions from Port. You know, last week you saw, for example, Jed McEntee getting an important goal late and just reaching a bit further down their list in general. It hasn't been, you know, the top guys have to perform or we're fucked. I mean, Alir Alir did have the save on the line last Saturday, but Alir, Charlie Dixon, Connor Rosie, they haven't been the end-all and be-all for the power. Both these teams, two and two, Right next to each other on the ladder, Port at 10th, Bulldogs at 11th, both coming off really nice wins in games I expected them to lose. Both of them within a goal as well. You were asking before last round, you know, how many close games are we going to have? These, these were the two. I remember being really invested into the game that these two sides played against each other at the Adelaide Oval last year. That was in round eight when... Port were really starting to find themselves. They won two in a row coming in, but one of them was the Eagles and the other one was in Cairns. So this was the first time that I actually was impressed with a Port win last year. They won by 17 points. It was one of Travis Boak's best games. And Jeremy Finlayson kicked three goals just like he did last round. That was part of a Friday doubleheader, I remember, last year's round eight game. In the other game, North only scored 24 points. Oh, Fuck, I remember that. That was bad. I can't believe I stayed up to the end of that game. That would have been one where I don't think if, like, anyone turning it off, you would have blamed them. But um, I hope for this to be more compelling. Kind of kind of similar to last year's then. I don't remember it being that great of a game, honestly. I, I remember the first half being more back and forth, and I think Port took control more in the second. The dogs managed to work back the margin a bit to make it more respectable late. Maybe... 
my perception is skewed by that prelim they played in 21, where it was like the Brazil-Germany game, honestly. And they have played some pretty good games. There was a two-point game at Marvel in round 23 in 2021. That was the game that ended up deciding the brow low between Bob Pelly and Woods. I remember that one. That was fun. But other than that, you look at their head-to-head results, not a lot of close games. I mean, a 13-point game in 2020, but where the Bulldogs kicked 5-12. Sign of things to come. But yeah, I we're due for them to have an entertaining game, right? An entertaining fall game, I guess, because again, I like the start of last year's and it ended up close on the scoreboard. There are a lot of games that, but there are some games in there that, you know, they end up with reasonable margins. But if you watch, you can tell how misleading that margin is. When it comes to injuries, Xavier Dersma seems to be all right, despite hyperextending his knee, not in the injury list. Unfortunately, Orazio Fantasia set back another month. That's He's the glass bones and paper skin of this port list. He's made out of breadsticks. My God, the whole thing's made of breadsticks. And paint and shellac. In last week's Sandful loss, Mitch Georgiatis kicked 3-1. I'm just surprised he hasn't been in there, but out, off of a... I mean, the forwards were the reason they were going to lose that game. They weren't the reason they had only kicked 38 through, like, three quarters. I don't know, maybe if they're if they're wanting to give Dersma a spell and they end up being concerned about his knee, then I guess that could be a spot where Georgiatis comes in, though. I think I, but I like more of what Dersma does further back toward the midfield. I think of Georgiatis as someone who's reliant on playing near a tall like Charlie Dixon. If he kicked 3-1 in the sandful, that hopefully is a sign that he's growing out of that, because I thought at times he has shown the ability to play without Dixon, and it's weird that he ended up getting moved down again. Or is he like just one of those quadruple A players where, you know, this is just about his ceiling other than when he breaks the ceiling to take mark of the year? Maybe it's a Sam Wiedemann type situation where just like a change of scenery is what did it. I was really hoping the Eagles would would have been able to do something to get him there because I think that change of scenery would have helped him. He's a Subiaco kid. Looking at the Bulldogs injury list, we know that Alex Keith is out concussed. So, Ryan Gardner, Ryan Tika Masala Gardner, as we have come to start calling him, seems a pretty logical inclusion there. He played in the reserves. If Hayden Crozier can't play after having to sit out the fourth quarter last week with a back injury, then I guess Taylor DeRay could come back in after an illness held him out of round three. He played reserves as well. Most notably, though, Tony Wakeman set for his season debut after getting over his adductor injury. He was so hit or miss last year, but... I think having him in should benefit Aaron Naughton. The two seem to play off each other pretty well. When he's at his best, he's really entertaining as well. So he makes the Bulldogs a more watchable product up forward. And they need someone who's not at all up there to really excite the crowds. Just get people talking about something other than the wealth of talls they have. Should also note that 47 touches from Toby McLean probably makes him a pretty good candidate to get back into the side. He really cleaned up the reserves game against Richmond, which they won. Also, 17 clearances and eight tackles. That's kind of a broken stat line. Sam Darcy kicked two goals as well, so we'll see how long it is before he comes back in. I guess you could consider throwing him in defensively if you had to. Again, I would prefer Nolan to be that center half back. Maybe see if Waitman could play a bit off Darcy instead. Or see if he can get Buku Kamis in there defensively friend of a friend of the show, Buku Kamis. 
Again, I think he's an ideal sub pick. These teams play again not long from now. Round 13 at Marvel Stadium. Yeah, it's one of the bye weeks. I'm surprised that comes up so quickly that Porter favored by 11 and a half. I mean, with the injury uncertainty for the dogs, I can understand why this line isn't crazy in one direction or another. And also, I just can understand why Porter ahead in this one. They played, I think, when they've been at their best, they've been able to hold their best for longer in games that the Bulldogs have. I get the feeling this game is not going to be close, and I really hope I'm wrong. I feel like I'm more confident in either team winning a blowout than I am in either team winning a close game. But I could see so many different outcomes here. Is this the least draw-likely game of the round? No, actually, that would be this next one. I think this is the most likely game to have some baby-making footy, though. Ooh, okay. Will note. Do you think Geelong and West Coast is going to go past the point of baby-making footy then? I would love for the second week in a row. That would be great because I'm not getting overconfident. I know the Eagles are missing a lot, but considering how bad we looked against the Suns, we could lose to pretty much anybody on the right day. I mean, remember, the Suns did very little to win that game, other than Jack Lacocious kicking five, and then Lacocious vanished last week. Weird flash in the pan if it turns out that way. So uh, the Castle Cup, as we call it then, because Ethan's a Cats member, I'm an Eagles member, will be a 12.40 p.m. bounce at the Adelaide Oval on Sunday, 1.10 p.m. in Victoria, 11.10 a.m. out west, so tuck in with some brunch and footy. 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Pacific in the United States on Saturday the 15th. This is another Fox Soccer Plus broadcast. And, uh, man, I said earlier that it felt weird for, for Brisbane and North to come into their meeting with the same record. This one feels weirder. Yeah, if, like, I would have guessed worst case scenario for the Cats through four weeks would have been two and two. So being a one and three is jarring, but honestly, I think two and two was the best case scenario for the Eagles. But here's the thing. If you handle business here, then you can start playing some games at your actual home field and maybe do some damage against some better teams. I don't think they have to worry about taking anyone lightly because that Suns loss probably showed, yeah, we could actually lose to anybody. At least this isn't coming out of the bye where the Cats tend to play some of their worst footy. I mean, the Eagles provided some encouragement in that round 14 meeting last year where they kept it a three-goal defeat. I remember that game being pretty frustrating for a while. Frustrating for you? Round 23 was a dead rubber that Geelong won by 85. It was... It's kind of like a nice way to close out the season in relaxing fashion with Tom Hoggins and Tyson Stengel each kicking four goals. And Jamie Cripps had three for the Eagles. Um, Oh, yeah, he's got a broken ankle. I want to have more games where it's like we've already locked up the number one spot entering the final round. I think that was the second game where like not even position was on the line for Joel Selwood in his career. Like, like the second true dead rubber he'd ha ever had. There are similar stats with like Yadier Molina. I might have mentioned this before, actually. Like the number of games that he was involved in where the Cardinals were not in playoff contention. It was staggering. Staggering how few of them there were? Yes. He got a couple rings. Yeah, two of them. Selwood's got four friendship medals. And 
I'm staring at Ethan's Joel Selwood bobblehead, which was his membership gift. Yeah, I used my membership discount on that to the point where basically I just had to pay for shipping. And with the conversion rate being so good still, I'm milking that for all I can. On the injury front, looks like Sam DeConing should be back, which will be really nice. Though Jed Buse now goes out with a concussion. Gary Rowan's appealing his one-game suspension for a sling tackle on Chankwath Jath that I think is going to be pretty tough to overturn. Is he appealing and saying, nah, this ought to be three? Because honestly, Michael Christian, what the fuck are you doing? I think one was appropriate for that one. I thought in the one to two range. We'll talk about the other one from Easter Monday in just a second. I just, the motion to get Jeff tackled like that, I was not a fan of that at all. If you're judging on intent, that one was worse than the one that Hawthorne had. Brendan Parfit did not end up getting picked to be the sub last week. That ended up being Ollie Henry, who was great in that role, and I wouldn't mind him being in that role again. I would like to see Parfit in full-time. From the VFL, looked like Tanner Rune handled his demotion well, and with Max Holmes playing back on the wing, maybe there will be room for Brune to get back in. Sounds like Ollie Dempsey and Sam Simpson also played well. Don Sheet is a chance to return for the Eagles. The question is, how much does he still sound like Darth Vader? That was something that Adam Simpson said about him after he suffered that throat injury. If he plays a really good game while dealing with that injury, would that make him the throat goat? Nah, I think Obama's still got that locked up. I don't know, Nancy Reagan has quite a reputation too. Look it up, people. Alex Witherden's status is dependent upon tests to see whether he can get out of concussion protocol, but there are a lot of defenders on the tall side who could contribute in this one and who I hope to see in action because, again, I want to see the younger guys. I want to see them trialed in a few different areas over a few different games. They'll move around even during the game to figure things out, but don't just bring them up for one game and send them back down immediately. Get them the time against a couple opponents. Get a better sample of their skill set. Yeah, what's it do for development to pull a guy up for just one game? Unless, you know, it's one thing if you tell the guy in advance, like, hey, you're here just for this week because this guy is hurt. Regardless of how you perform, this is a one-week thing. If you're upfront about it, that's a little different. And, and sometimes I think that can actually benefit guys because then they aren't looking over their shoulder. But in this one... Josh Rotham could be elevated from the sub role. Luke Edwards was an emergency last round, and Rhett Bazo played well in the waffle opener, though the Eagles did drop that to South Fremantle. Cats favored by 41 and a half. That's a bit high. Cats by 64. I tipped the Cats the first three rounds. That didn't work. I'm going to be tipping against them every week, so that's just kind of going to be my thing now. But in terms of realistic expectations i feel like this could be a bit more on the 30 point range i i hope it's an absolute i, I hope they you know like demolish him use the high pressure hoses on him and, like strip the skin off him hey if the eagles happen to have the ramen noodles sign they're kind of fucked you know sam mitchell admitted what that sign meant it meant like play our wet weather style well they ended up looking like wet noodles out there They'll be playing the middle game on Sunday. There's only overlap in this round on Sunday. I wish there was none. I think there could have been a way to do it if you started the last game later. So the 
the middle game on Sunday is going to be another one out at Norwood. It's GWS taking on Hawthorne in the it's really hard to make this a good uniform matchup game. I can see an easy way. Hawthorne wearing the gold with the brown V and GWS going charcoal. Even then, I don't know. It's just the orange versus the yellow is tough, which is why I want to see GWS with the charcoal, which I think is the best clash jumper in the AFL. Looks awesome whenever they bring that out for the Sydney Derby. This match is somehow being televised on 7 and on Fox Sports 2. I, we, I, we, we tend to get the uh, Sunday 7 broadcast here. I guess 7 always has that time slot on Sunday, even if... And, and usually it's the best game. In this case, it's not because of the way the doubleheader work. It'll be 3.20 p.m., Australian Eastern Time on Sunday, 2.50 p.m. local time, 1.20 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and for us on the West Coast, 10.20 p.m. still on Saturday. These are two bottom four teams right now, both coming in at 1-3, both coming off of losses. I don't remember much of the Round 16 game that these teams played last year. I do. Out of the Sydney Showground. Was this an overlap that you were covering, maybe? 99% sure. Let me check on... Yeah, I watched this game from a hotel in Michigan. This was around the same time, I think, that... Yeah, this was when Richmond kicked really accurately and West Coast didn't. So I was focusing on that and legitimately frustrated that the Eagles couldn't beat a finalist while you watched one of your favorite young players who has yet to be cited this year. Yeah, Callum Brown... Callum M. Brown, if we're going to be super detailed here, kicked 4-1, and a couple of soccers in the rain. The conditions for this game suck, and then, as well as he played, they decided, hey, let's make this guy who's clearly very skilled offensively into a defender. If that was what cost Mark McVeigh his job, good. The Giants came out of last week's loss to Essendon pretty much completely unscathed. Aaron Cabin was... An option is an emergency. They didn't pick him. He should be it over Jake Riccardi. That's very clear. That tweet got a lot of engagement. You saying that, which surprised me because GWS isn't usually a source of any engagement because it's, you know, it's a smaller club. And pretty clearly it was kind of a, kind of a Vox popular moment there. The VFL team last week, they beat Coburg. 37 disposals from Josh Fahey plus nine marks. Xavier O'Halloran is making progress back from his quad injury. Wade Dirksen kicked 5-1, and Jason Gilby, a goal and a behind from 24 disposals. So debut watches there, obviously, between Catman, Fahey, Dirksen, who was the midseason draftee for the Giants last year. And Brown was active in that game, despite not scoring, I think it was in the high 20s and touches there. I'd like to see them take out Jack Buckley and find another option. Maybe that's somewhere O'Halloran could slot in. I've just been thinking throughout this one, just kind of looking at the notes and remembering that Will Day was suspended for more games than Gary Rowan was, which, as a Geelong member, that's fucking insane. It was not... You could barely call his tackle on close a sling tackle. I think... it. It must have been the impact of the head to the ground. I think Day did very little that caused that. But th this is, once again, Michael Christian and MRO emphasizing the outcome more than the action. And 
as soon as I saw that judgment come out, I thought, Michael Christian, retire, bitch. Thinking back to the uh, Danny DeVito tweet from, I believe, 2013, where he said about uh, a Supreme Court justice, a now deceased justice, Antonin Scalia, retire, bitch. Why did I think? I thought it was Samuel Alito. Was it Scalia? I'm pretty sure it was Scalia. It sounds right now that you say it. Yep. And this was back in 2013. I was right. How close are we to the 10-year anniversary? Did we miss it? We missed it. It was March 2nd of 2013. Fuck. March 2nd should be Retire Bitch Day. Ooh, speaking of anniversaries, I believe this weekend is the anniversary of the Fenway Pizza Instant. Well, here comes a pizza. See it? <laughs> this was in 2007. Uh, Yeah, April 16th, 07. So it's going to be on the day that this game is played. Just... I don't want to spoil it for you. Just watch. Just look up the Fenway Pizza incident and watch it. It's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. Just the delivery, the the whole thing. So Sunday's pizza day. Sunday's footy day. Sunday is a day where Will Day should honestly be playing or just suspended for less, I'll say. He should at least be available to play the following week against... I guess I'm pretty sure they've got... The Crows again out in Launceston like they did two years ago. Yeah, they do. Yeah, for that uh, for that Anzac Sunday afternoon game. And the reserves, Box Hill dealt with the Geelong reserves pretty damn easily. Sam Butler kicked 4-2. Dan Butler's younger brother. Good game for Max Lynch, better known by his Instagram tag, Maximum Lunch, out of the ruck. And then Lockie Bramble and Ned Long played well. Bramble is a guy that I've really had my eye on to start the year. He was an emergency last week. We'll see if he's in that spot again. What do you think of the Giants being favored by 13 and a half? I mean, neither team is very good. You could put this line as just like a pick'em game. I get the Giants being favored, especially if they make the right list decisions. I think it would be really funny for Aaron Cadman to debut outside of Sydney, and especially in the gather where they will have just about the lowest amount of fans cheering for him. It would be really cool to play Jason Gilby. You know, the Marmalade guys have a whole thing with Mill, even though that's more on the hill at the Adelaide Oval. This would still be cool. I think they'd make it out to Norwood for that one if he did play, but I think it would be very necessary. Whenever the Milkman plays, they, they will be there. The bookends of this round seem to be the most enticing, and... I mean, who the hell would have thought you'd have had St. Kilda and Collingwood being a blockbuster where we regret it not being at the G? I don't regret it. I think it's fine that it's elsewhere. Damian Barrett's probably going to throw a fit if he hasn't already. More on him later, actually, for me. Look, none of these games were scheduled with the idea of taking, like, a big rivalry away from somewhere. They were pretty good about being just, it looks like a normal round of footy. Yeah. which. I think it's good, and it's cool that they ended up with a big game for this, especially that it's the final game of the round, because a lot of times the final game of the round is just kind of eh. Whereas, you know, we're used to, like, Sunday night football being a significant game or just the NFC East. Or Sunday night baseball being a significant game or just the Yankees and Red Sox. Or Cubs and Cardinals. Monday night football, I mean... That's a mix, but usually there's some intrigue. I just, it's weird with the last game of the round, you know, it's just kind of like, eh, 
It's a football game, all right. It's weird when the marquee game is like the Friday nighter, as it often is. But this, this will be fun. The lather-leading Saints, the only team at 4-0, against 3-1 Collingwood, who fell to fifth after their 33-point loss to Lions. You know, there's another reason why I think this game's going to be fun, because it's starting at 4.20 p.m. Adelaide time. There is no footy on 4.20 this year because there's no Thursday footy next round. So there's 4.21 footy. I mean, it's this is not even still 4.20 in our time zone. It's going to be a few hours into the 21st. So I guess this is the high will be wearing off by then, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, this is your chance. It'll be 4.50 p.m. when it bounces in the eastern states of Australia. So 2.50 a.m. Eastern, Sunday the 16th, 11.50 p.m. Pacific. Saturday the 15th here in the United States. Unfortunately, this is just a Fox Soccer Plus game. I mean, for those of you that have Fox Soccer Plus, you're welcome. Get Watch AFL. Correct. Correct. That is the correct answer every time is Get Watch AFL. The fact that you also have all the other Fox Bodhi contests as well just bumps that up even more. Last time these teams played was all the way back in the opening round of 2022 at Marvel Stadium. A good showing for both teams where Collingwood won by 17. I mostly remember that, though, because deck, 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 deck. Hayes kicked three goals on debut. I remember being really disappointed with the Saints. It was like, what the fuck? How'd you lose to these guys? And then turned out 2021 was just a complete anomaly for Collingwood. And the Saints then went on to go win eight of their next 10 before falling back to earth. I talked about ground balls at the beginning of this episode, and I mentioned that Collingwood and St. Kilda are two of the top four in ground balls, so these are going to be some really fun on-the-deck contests, high-intensity footing the whole way. These are two teams that really like to run. I don't see this, though, ending up being just like a complete track meet. There's going to be some friction, especially, I think, for St. Kilda going toward goal, so I'm ready to embrace this game for everything it is. On the Saints injury side, Jack Bytel, who I've liked, has been out with an ankle injury. Sounds like there's a chance for Tim Memory to make his debut for the season, coming back from a knee injury. Now, I was surprised to see Rory Kilpatrick on Twitter at AFL Glico saying that they should play Memory further back. He's someone who's definitely way, way smarter than me. And is that a vote of confidence for him in Zane Cordy then? Because it seems like Cordy would be the guy to make way. And he hasn't played particularly poorly or anything. He hasn't weighed them down. It's just I've always really liked Membry as like a, a link guy or as like a secondary marking target. Yeah, I like him being kind of at the periphery in the 50. So it's weird that I do not see this the same way as someone who I think of as way, way, way smarter than me. Tom Highmore, Tom Campbell... And former Category B rookie Jack Paris were all available as emergencies last round. And then Highmore and Cooper Sharman were impactful in a BFL loss to the Sun. Recently learned that Jack Paris's mom, Nova, was the first Aboriginal Australian to win an Olympic gold medal as part of the field hockey team in 1996. Kind of crazy that it took that long, but pretty cool. No new injuries for the Pies round four, just the problems that they had. Coming into that game, you know, no clear solution at Ruck, and they're going to be mashed up against Rowan Marshall, so have fun. Billy Frampton or Ash Johnson or Dan McStay, 
Maybe you could see someone like Trey Rusco coming in to beef up some of the taller ranks, or maybe Reef McGinnis will get a shot. Just no real obvious solution there. I am going to guess that almost every coach's meeting in the past week was about how do we handle this because they're going to be stuck in this situation for at least a couple more weeks. All I know is Rowan Marshall's my pick for captain again. Yeah, that seems that seems smart. The VFL side got beaten pretty handily by Brisbane, but Finn McRae was among their best, and Ed Allen, the number 19 pick in the past draft, did well enough to be considered again. He was an emergency for the AFL side last round, so maybe we'll see that again. Jack Ginevan played again, but didn't do anything notable. And I'm not sure what it's going to take to get him back in at this point. I think Bobby Hill has endeared himself to the selectors with the way he started off the season. And it seemed like at the start that Hill was kind of taking Ginevan's spot. I think you can find a way to incorporate both where it's like they're both just part of your best 22 and you got to do it. Who exits then? Great question. I mean, I even though he's got those rock abilities that are probably necessary right now, I'd consider Ash Johnson one of the weaker links. And that's crazy because I really like him. I'd say Johnson would kind of be at that spot for me as well because I was thinking maybe Will Hoskin-Elliott, but he's done all right lately. I guess Reef McInnes is another option there, which sucks because I really like him. I like a lot of the individual players on this Collingwood team. Even if collectively it's Collingwood, they got some fun pieces. If they can figure this out and still win this game with that disadvantage, I think I'll be more impressed by Collingwood getting over their ruck injuries than I would with, you know, any other single injury or patch of injuries that any other team gets over just because of the circumstances of this matchup in particular. It's very much within reach, too. I wouldn't be shocked by either team winning this game. 14 and a half points for a spread seems pretty big, though, in Collingwood's favor. I would make it, like, after that. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. This might just be one of those, you know, there are Collingwood fans that always bet on Collingwood type deals instead of the odds makers looking at this as, you know, what do we see as the most likely outcome? And it's really about just balancing the money because that's, I mean, ultimately that is how you set a line. The other thing here is going to be a really tough task for St. Kilda's tall forwards against the likes of Darcy Moore, Nathan Murphy, Billy Frampton going back there. So it's going to be probably the toughest matchup yet for Anthony Caminiti, for example, who I've really liked in his first four rounds. You were spot on picking him as a sleeper, by the way. I mean, he's not much of a sleeper at this point, but I like the vision that I see from him going through all the supplemental selections when we were doing the sleepers, seeing if there's, you know, anyone that I really liked. I saw the footage he had with the Northern Knights and then the preseason game confirmed it for me. It's just there are so many other entertaining young players on this team that it would be easy for him to slip through the cracks. And I think to some extent, he's probably slipped through the crack for opponents scouting them. Although I think that's a little bit tougher to do with how well he's played lately. So those are the nine games of the Gather round. as we see them going in. And I think we've actually used that soundbite nine times thus far, which is honestly pretty tame. But the one thing we haven't done yet, Ethan, is give out our main character picks. So do you have one in mind? Firstly, tell me, is it someone, is it on or off the field? I think it's off the field. I think there's going to be some awesome crowd stuff this round, so 
I'm gonna go with the Marmalade guys. You know, they in round one they had the, you know, they had the Jason Horn Francis Mullins and the like no ice bath signs. Is Kane Cords too easy of a pick for your? No, I think you picked him already, actually. For yeah, and I was thinking of picking him again because he is, you know, South Australia guy. I'm going off the field as well because I'm going Damian Barrett. He's just said some fucking ridiculous things lately in terms of kind of ragging on the whole Gather around. concept of it, which is weird when he's working for AFL Media. Found some real Eastern bias showing. I mean, there was there was one thing where he was like, "Yeah, showdown should be played in Melbourne." And so I'm expecting some real dumb fuckery from Damian Barrett. He actually said this, by the way, in uh, in uh, Access All Areas, which is his show on the AFL website. Was it like so fans in Melbourne can appreciate it or? No, I think it's like because the entire league is coming to Adelaide for round five is what he said. This is the sort of thing that I that I look at and wonder how the hell are you one of the top journalists for the fucking league? Remember, he also called out Mitch Cleary three years ago and basically tried to blackball him and got him stood down from his AFL media roles for a while after Cleary made public that Trent Cotchin's wife had broken quarantine with the club. So this is the guy who's, you know, one of the foremost journalists for the league. I feel like in order to be in that role, you really can't have bias towards clubs. I feel like the only bias someone in that role is supposed to have is like caping for any decision the league makes, whether it's, you know, a suspension or a business thing or a labor thing or whatever. That's the tough part. And that's why I'm glad that it's, that Cleary is a din that role, because I like the, a lot of the work that Cleary does. So Damian Barrett, you're on watch this week, as if you weren't already. All right. I think we got up to double digits for that soundbite. So, uh. That's where we're standing right now as we wrap up this round preview. I hope this round delivers in so many ways, and I hope the Gather round. concept grows from here, that it gets to all the other states, that it does well there. Like, I want to see this out west next year. I want the Gather round. in far north Queensland. We need more games like they're being played in Swamp. A minority view, I would assume, but sure. Bring it on. More Karen's footy if that's what you really want. Bad footy builds character. Wet footy certainly builds character. It reminds me of the hunt. As always, I'm on Twitter, at Castle Media. More importantly, or more relevant to this, we are on Twitter, at Americans Footy. We're also on YouTube. I'm at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. Brian Harambe, the footy cat, is on Instagram, a cat named Brian. You guys are... Wherever y'all are and wherever you are, I know your eyes will be on Adelaide this week. So let's bring it. Let's do it.